Hi, I'm Tim Sanova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck Live, the morning-ish show. On today's episode, Lauren Ruffin and I are joined by Jamie Galoon and Vijay Matthew. Jamie and Vijay are two of the co-founders of HowlRound Theater Commons, based at Emerson College in Boston, found online at HowlRound.com. HowlRound is a knowledge commons that encourages freely sharing intellectual and artistic resources and expertise, and was created as a direct response to research that suggested artists were increasingly distant from the center of theater making within the not-for-profit institutional infrastructure, and the new possibilities created by technology to influence theater practice. Its founding came at a time when they were seeing too many voices left off of our stages, not represented inside of our institutions, and not recognized for their substantial contribution to our past and present. The co-founders set about to create a group of tools that would amplify voices and issues chronically underrepresented and unheard in the theater. And we are excited to chat with them today. Without further ado, Jamie Vijay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Hi, thank you. Okay, so let's jump right in. One of the questions we've been, and I'm really, really excited to hear your responses because I think the work that you're doing, the conversations you're having are so very timely for the sector, is how is your community doing and what are you hearing right now? Yeah, that's such a great question. I would say that our community is vast and diverse, so we're hearing a lot of different things. I've been heartened to see and hear the work that a lot of individual artists are doing to promote knowledge sharing and solution envisioning right now in this moment. Obviously, it shouldn't go without saying, but the impact of the pandemic on the theater sector is devastating, in particular for freelance artists who have been hit incredibly hard. We've been lucky to collaborate and support on an incredible series via HowlRound TV with a group of freelance producers, Nicole Brewer, Hannah Fenlin, Anne-Marie Lonsdale, and Abigail Vega, who created a website called the Artist Resources for Freelance Artists website. And they have been hosting an incredible ongoing series on HowlRound TV addressing the needs for freelance artists right now, talking about everything from processing this moment, grieving, sort of self-care, spiritual response, all the way to very practical financial strategies, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. Vijay, do you have anything to add to that? What's been really wonderful is our ability to immediately support this incubator, help support these initiatives that are really run by the community out there themselves. And that I feel like is our nice sweet spot when, or it's very fulfilling when we're able to do something like that and so quickly. Yeah. So Tim gave y'all a fantastic but very formal bio. It was Friday formal. (laughs) I missed the memo. How do y'all typically introduce yourselves and your work? Yeah. So I guess I'd introduce myself as, hi, I'm Jamie Galoon. I'm a producer, cultural organizer, theater maker. Yeah, currently based in Boston. I would introduce HowlRound's work, co-founder and director of HowlRound. You know, we're really building a kind of a big and open table for conversation about the state of the theater field globally and with an eye towards trying to really push the field to be more progressive, equitable, just, and sustainable. We function as a knowledge commons, which is another way of saying that that might be more approachable is that all of our content is community sourced. So our platform is really about stewarding the ideas and knowledge contributions of theater makers who choose to participate along the sort of values agenda that we've laid out. Mm -hmm. And all of our content is licensed under the Creative Commons, which means that it can be shared openly and freely, which is in line with our ethos. Mm -hmm. 
HowlRound has made some really amazing resources available to help people with the technological or technology backend to be able to do this. And Lauren, I should pause here to thank you for, in particular, the piece that Jay wrote, how to produce a live streamed event. <laughs> Spent several days pouring over that, looking at the resources, testing stuff out. You were also so kind to test a couple of things out when we were in the early days. For those who are interested in producing their own live stream event, HowlRound has some really amazing resources there. Also want to thank you for the piece that you wrote that I learned about in the fall. What's your vision for a post-carbon art sector? Which was a really fascinating piece to read in the fall. And that was before we started seeing travel and life shutting down in our green room. I, I was remarking that I saw a piece today that said like two days ago, only 24 flights took off from LaGuardia in the month of January, just at LaGuardia, 31,000 flights landed and took off from there. We're seeing photos of places around the globe that have been sort of cloaked in smog for years. And we're seeing cities that have Coyote, other than Albuquerque, coyotes walking down the center of the street, kangaroos and, and sort of animals coming back to cities in a way that we haven't seen. I'm curious where your mind is right now as you think about what's going on in the world. How can we be proactive about some of these changes that are happening and holding on to some of the positive ones? We're in a catastrophe right now, but at the same time, it feels like there's a bit of grace there's this time or this moment where before the more of the waves of climate change start to hit the global north, the wealthy countries, this is actually the moment. Like this is the opportunity to totally refigure the way that we all operate as a society, as a civilization, as an economy. And I think, you know, at the end of this kind of uh, physical distancing moment, if we're kind of coming back into the same thing that we had, what will our future opportunities of taking pause, what will those look like? And will they be more difficult to re actually recover from? Yeah, I think we're kind of like at a fork in the road right now. And actually, this is maybe the opportunity, at least us in the, what we can do, what we have control over, or a little tiny influence over is our arts field. This is maybe the moment to redesign in some ways, in terms of building pipes for other folks to sort of move along, the work that HowlRound does in the Fracture Atlas is, is similar. And I'm curious about sort of your work structure as a team internally. How has that shifted over the last few months? And, you know, what tools and resources have been particularly helpful as you do this? So, okay, on one hand, like everything has changed, but also in some ways nothing has changed because so much of our work has existed digitally, primarily. And so now, you know, we're all working from home. And obviously, we all have different home circumstances that we're adjusting to and, and giving ourselves grace and flexibility with. But one, I would say like the biggest area of shift for us has probably been around the preponderance of TV events and figuring out how to adjust our capacity within our own staff to help meet the increased demand there. We brought back someone we used to work with. We've also increased hours for some other folks that we've been working with. But in terms of how we work together as a team, you know, we've kept a lot of the rituals we had going before. So we have our weekly team check-ins. We have an editorial meeting. We're certainly like G-chatting a lot more. <laughs> we're doing more Zoom hangouts. And also we're anchored in the Office of the Arts at Emerson College. So HowlRound is a sort of 
pod that's part of a bigger culture of Office of the Arts. And there's a lot of meetups that we've been doing in that context as well, which have included things like yoga classes and meditation and other kinds of newer offerings around self-care that folks can choose to opt into. Mm -hmm. You all have been working for a decade on live streaming video events. And there's this rush of organizations and people now trying to figure this out. What have you found for the quote unquote best practices or for people to think about as they're hoping or trying to transition into more of a virtual convening setting than what might have formerly been 3D only? Some like best practices. I mean, it depends. Like not everything needs to be live streamed, just a conversation that's not completely public can be can meet all the goals so i mean that would be one thing is really set the goals of why you're doing anything online and what you hope to achieve and that can help determine the design of it if it's just a video conference or a video conference and gets live streamed and also keep things short and planned and maybe have an outline or structure because i think we're all getting a bit of a screen fatigue now yeah just a little bit. Why are you laughing, Tim? Because you're so very structured. I look at Lauren. I'm like, I have a good sense what Lauren's thinking about me thinking about what I'm thinking about. <laughs> um, uh, but, but yeah, it's like the often referred to it as the Zoom meeting exhaustion coefficient. At least it used to be just twice as exhausting as a 3D meeting. And I think it might be three or four times as exhausting now because we're just going from one thing to the next and it's just all on our screen. It's no longer a 3D meeting and then a Zoom meeting and then something else and you go outside and you walk around. And so just the the back to back, I think, maybe it's as the day goes on, could have been a 60 minute meeting. You're good if you get 10 out of it before people just start to fade. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's the importance of saying no to things and of being really protective of your calendar. I think is definitely so many of our guests have struggled with the shift to being totally on screens. And I think one of the things that we may take back, like all of us, is that a lot of in-person meetings, gatherings, conferences don't actually have to happen in person. And I think we're getting an idea of what's important to actually have in person and what can you actually accomplish really well and with a lot less resources online. Yeah. It does amplify that meme about how like this meeting could have been an email. Yeah. I feel like when it's a video, it's just, it's really hard. Yeah, for sure. I'm also sort of in that vein. Are there aspects of working like this that you think you will keep? Or do you feel like if things open up, I use that very tongue in cheek. Are you going to go back to the way that y'all were working previously? Like I'm personally more productive than I've ever been. (laughs) just because no more commute and the ability to walk around and go to my kitchen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that before we were like pretty office based with like one day a week work from home, I think that certainly there will be shifts I would imagine around flexibility of just like where we work (laughs) and how we work moving forward, more flexibility there. I guess I'm really interested in thinking about the things that folks are doing now in the field. Um, the pivots that I'm seeing and what we might carry with us moving forward out of this moment of crisis. So I've been really inspired by all of these mutual aid networks popping up, right? I mean, they're essentially commons in action, both from like the hyper local Slack channel that me and my neighbors have to keep each other sane and offer mutual support and get that 
tomato that somebody might have that you need or, or what have you, all the way to stuff that I'm noticing in the field happening, like the ICA in their East Boston location is now a fresh food distribution center. Same thing with Jack in Brooklyn. They've partnered with the We Keep Us Safe Abolitionist Network to set up as a food distribution center. We know that all of these theaters and many theaters are sewing masks. Folks have found ways to pivot to be part of some of the essential services that are so needed right now and integrated, you know, in response to local community needs. And as well as looking at things like the work of coalitions around emergency response, I know so much is needed, but I've been very inspired by by, you know, the launch of the artist, you know, what YPCA is doing in the Bay area on a more local level. And third strand, I think, is around the artist-led relief initiative. So like trickle up, thinking about new models for support for artists, thinking about the work that the freelance producers are doing that I referenced at the top of the call. And this sort of generosity of knowledge sharing that's happening on platforms like HowlRound and elsewhere. And I guess I hope, or I'm wondering, and I'm curious about what we can learn from these kind of these behaviors that have felt so needed in this moment and are coming out as a response for this moment, for this moment but I hope that the behaviors that we carry with us forward and that help us create a different landscape for our field moving forward that can serve more of us. Let's move to a question that's coming in. You both were talking about these things. I just wanted to see if there's anything else that might get picked up here. The question is, can you give a sense of the various conversations emerging on the journal and how the communities you serve are faring, feeling challenged, and feeling hopeful? Oh, hi, Diane. Thank you for this question. Let's see. There's so many threads of conversation emerging. I will think of... Yeah, I'll pull on maybe just a couple pieces and then Vijay, you should, you should weigh in too. So, um, we published a beautiful essay this week by Noelle Vinas, who's a playwright based in New York. And she was sort of reflecting on a lot of the different opinions that have been floating around the notion of making in this moment and sort of the role of a playwright in this moment. And the thing that I found so she talked about how that theater is often an art of futurity, that we're looking to the future, we're planning, we're planning, we're planning. And she sort of offered a provocation around thinking, what if we think of theater as an art of the now? Like, what does that mean in this moment around how we make, who we make with, what our priorities are, some kind of models we need to support the work? That's a question that I've been sitting with. Another thread of conversation that has been really, I guess we've been talking about it a lot as a team since we published this piece was Kaja Dunn wrote a beautiful piece about the need to take a pause and the need for us to, in this moment, give ourselves time to process and grieve and sort of intentionally resist capitalism's insatiable (laughs) need and urge for productivity and to produce I guess I feel maybe less equipped to speak on behalf of like communities writ large, Diane, and like how they're feeling, hoped and challenged. I feel more inclined to pull out just a few specific voices that have felt really compelling to me in this moment. But I'll throw it over to Vijay, who I'm sure has some other opinions. Yeah, I think we're still also in a moment of people just dealing and processing the shock of what has happened. And so I think we're seeing a lot of that in the TV live streaming programming where we have a lot of master classes, playwriting classes happening, like Susan Laurie Parks' Watch Me Work From Home, which was an ongoing series, but now 
It's happening every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. It's a moment to work on you know, the craft of playwriting, but it's also a time to come together as a community just to just see each other from all our places in isolation and kind of to collectively process the trauma of what's going on. And interestingly, we have two other playwriting series going on as well, the Latinx superhero playwriting class. And then there's also this other kind of emerging story or idea how in these crises, the already marginalized communities and people get doubly or triply marginalized. And there's been a very interesting series of live streaming events organized by a collective called Unsettling Dramaturgy. They've had two events already. One was about specifically about land acknowledgements. Another was about CRIP and indigenous dramaturgies. And they're an action group in a sense of trying to figure out how they can start to center these ideas so that it becomes mainstream practice. Mm -hmm. Along those same lines, one of the things that I've always wondered about making theater as someone who is not an artist or theater maker at all is, are you seeing ensemble groups continue to create together and having plans to produce or produce or show work online from separate places? Is there anything sort of innovative happening in that realm? Oh yeah, definitely. In addition to tons of conversations that are happening, people are starting to figure out performance in physical distancing mm -hmm. and using these internet technologies to collaborate around performance. That happened, that coincided with the number that started mid-March where people putting on performances, adapting immediately what they're doing in person to the online space. And regularly, there are organizations such as Culture Hub and La Mama both based in New York City, that are creating a platform for artists to figure these things out, to really truly experiment with these technologies to see how performance performing artists can use them. Yeah, it strikes me, just knowing what I know about the economic model for theater, there's such a high cost to needing to work in the same place. And it strikes me that there's a real ability to, to unlock capacity and resources and connection and collaboration if you let go of needing to be in shared space and start thinking about shared reality instead. And I'm really curious to see how that plays out in the theater field in particular. Yeah, that's so interesting. I also think like along those lines, like that the Jay just referenced, I think we're in a really fascinating moment where folks are beginning to move beyond just transposition of what was the real thing mm -hmm. into digital and into thinking through what it means to be kind of innately digital right, right now, right? Because of this forced circumstance. But I do wonder what are the practices and new norms that we're going to bring with us wherever we may go as a result of this time. And that feels very exciting and very much like a well for, for new creativities, especially when we think about things like lessening our carbon footprint, yeah, the resource allocations that you talk mm -hmm. about, and accessibility of all yeah. of the work. Laura, this feels like a good time for the suitcase question. Yeah. Okay. I need to figure out who does the backpack. So the suitcase question started with Deborah Cullinan. She was on our show talking about how she has all these, the suitcase that she carries around with her with workplace practices and life practices. And she realizes that she's unpacking a lot of stuff and then putting in a lot of new things and new habits and new behaviors that she's learning as she's working more and more online. And so my question for both of you is, what is one thing that you are throwing out of your suitcase 
that you've been carrying around for a long time can be work, can be personal. And what's one behavior or practice that you have just started to do that you are going to carry far into the future? I guess by necessity, I feel like I've thrown out equating real life with, I think I've decoupled togetherness and like intimacy on some level Mm -hmm. with real life. Whether or not I like want, whether or not I want to, but I think it's, but I think that's, that's something I'm feeling right now. And I think one thing that I'm carrying forward are, I guess I have a certain number of rituals that I feel like I've developed in this moment. And for me, they're around the sort of cultivating space for work time when I'm in my 808 square foot apartment. That's also my personal space. And I think they're very simple. They're about like, changing my kitchen table from a kitchen table to like my desk. (laughs) And I think there's something really beautiful about those small rituals. And also I have a gratitude practice that I've been cultivating for a while, but I think that that has felt even more important to me now. And that's something that I will also carry forward, just like a daily gratitude practice. Awesome. Vijay? Yeah. So the thing I'm throwing out of my suitcase, I think is maybe the despair or hopelessness that things can't and won't change fast. I was so, so kind of surprised by literally how the world could dial down on what it's doing within a week. Extraordinary kind of thing. The, the fact that like, the way that our civilization works, it felt such a, such a huge insurmountable monolith. How does anyone ever stop that machine from running? So throwing out that notion, that kind of mental thing, throwing that out. And then I'm adding, just taking care of myself, walking every morning is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. As we land the plane on this episode, one of 24 planes landing at LaGuardia, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are your parting thoughts? Something maybe we haven't covered that you really think is important to leave in the space or just whatever's on your mind? One thing on my mind is that as we're creating new things, that we really think hard and prioritize accessibility and inclusion, like what Jimmy mentioned earlier, especially when we do online things. That's one thing. And also that this online world that we're all like now diving into, that we figure out limits to that and actually think about what does a metered internet look like? What mm-hmm. if the internet's actually a scarce resource, which it is, but we live under the illusion that it's unlimited that we can always have this energy running all these servers. I guess I'm just really thinking about notions of mutual support on like both person to person level and field wide. I mean, our field is broken. I mean, many of us may have felt this before, but you look at what's happening now. And I mean, we need to fundamentally rebuild how we work together and what our systems are. And we need to put artists at the center of those systems and we need to build equitable models of support. So I think this is an opportunity for us all to really interrogate our status quo on every level and think through how we can build a better, better models moving forward. Jamie, Vijay, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Continue the Work Shouldn't Suck live adventure with us on our next episode when we're joined by Kathy Edwards, Executive Director of New England Foundation for the Arts. Miss us in the meantime? You can download more Work Shouldn't Suck episodes from your favorite podcasting platform of choice 
and rewatch Work Shouldn't Suck live episodes over on workshouldn'tsuck.co. If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or five stars or phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. If you didn't enjoy this chat, please tell someone about it who you don't like as much. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.